Chapter Sixteen of Indiana. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Herndon Bell. Indiana by George Sand. Translated by George Burnham Ives. Chapter Sixteen. But Ralph was really intolerable on this particular evening. He had never been more stupid and dull and tiresome. He could say nothing apropos, and to cap the climax of his loudishness, he gave no sign of taking his leave, even when the evening was far advanced. Madame Delmar began to be ill at ease. She glanced alternately at the clock, which had struck eleven, at the door, which had creaked in the wind, and at the expressionless face of her cousin, who sat opposite her in front of the fire, placidly watching the blaze, without seeming to suspect that his presence was distasteful. But Sir Ralph's tranquil mask, his petrified features, concealed at that moment a profound and painful mental agitation. He was a man whom nothing escaped, because he observed everything with perfect self-possession. He had not been deceived by Raymond's pretended departure. He perceived very plainly Madame Delmar's anxiety at that moment. He suffered more than she did herself, and he moved irresolutely between the impulse to give her a salutary warning and the fear of giving way to feelings which he disavowed. At last his cousin's interest carried the day, and he summoned all his moral courage in order to break the silence. "'That reminds me,' he said abruptly, following out the line of thought with which his mind was busy, "'that it was just a year ago to-day that you and I sat in this chimney-corner as we are sitting now.' The clock marked almost the same hour. The weather was cold and threatening as it is to-night. You were ill, and were disturbed by melancholy ideas, a fact that almost makes me believe in the truth of presentments. "'What can he be coming to?' thought Madame Delmar, gazing at her cousin with mingled surprise and uneasiness. "'Do you remember, Indiana,' he continued, "'that you felt even less well than usual that night?' Why, I can remember your words as if I had just heard them. You will call me insane, you said, but some danger is hovering about us and threatening some one of us. Threatening me, I have no doubt, you added. I feel intensely agitated, as if some great crisis in my destiny were at hand. I am afraid. Those are your very words. I am no longer ill, said Indiana who had suddenly turned as pale as at the time of which Sir Ralph spoke. "'I no longer believe in such foolish terrors.' "'But I believe in them,' he rejoined. "'For you were a true prophet that night, Indiana. A great danger did threaten us. A disastrous influence surrounded this peaceful abode.' "'Mon Dieu! I do not understand you.' "'You soon will understand me, my poor girl.' That was the evening that Raymond de Ramier was brought here. Do you remember in what condition? Ralph paused a few seconds, but dared not look at his cousin. As she made no reply, he continued. I was told to bring him back to life, and I did so, as much to satisfy you as to obey the instincts of humanity. But in truth, Indiana, it was a great misfortune that I saved that man's life. It was I who did all the harm. "'I don't know what you mean by harm,' rejoined Indiana dryly. 
she was deeply moved in advance by the explanation which she foresaw i mean that unfortunate creature's death said ralph but for him she would still be alive but for his fatal love the lovely honest girl who loved you so dearly would still be at your side thus far madame delmar did not understand she was exasperated beyond measure by the strange and cruel method which her cousin adopted to reproach her for her attachment to monsieur de ramiere enough of this she said rising but ralph apparently took no notice of her remark what always astonished me he continued was that you never guessed the real motive that led monsieur de ramiere to scale the walls a suspicion darted through indiana's mind her legs trembled under her and she resumed her seat. Ralph had buried the knife in her breast and made a ghastly wound. He no sooner saw the effect of his work than he hated himself for it. He thought only of the injury he had inflicted on the person whom he loved best in all the world. He felt that his heart was breaking. He would have wept bitterly if he could have wept. But the poor fellow had not the gift of tears. He had naught of that which eloquently translates the language of the heart. The external coolness with which he performed the cruel operation gave him the air of an executioner in Indiana's eyes. "'This is the first time,' she said bitterly, "'that I have known your antipathy for Monsieur de Ramiere to lead you to employ weapons that are unworthy of you. But I do not see how it assists your vengeance to stain the memory of a person who was dear to me and whom her melancholy end should have made sacred to us. I have asked you no question, Sir Ralph. I do not know what you refer to. With your permission, I will listen to no more. She rose, and left Monsieur Brown bewildered and crushed. He had foreseen that he could not enlighten Madame Delmar, except at his own expense. His conscience had told him that he must speak, whatever the result might be and he had done it with all the abruptness of method, all the awkwardness of execution of which he was capable. What he had not fully appreciated was the violence of a remedy so long delayed. He left Lagny in despair, and wandered through the forest in a sort of frenzy. It was midnight. Raymond was at the park gate. He opened it, but as he opened it he felt his brow grow chill. For what purpose had he come to this rendezvous? He had made divers virtuous resolutions, but would he be amply rewarded by a chaste interview, by a sisterly kiss, for the torture that he was undergoing at that moment? For if you remember under what circumstances he had previously passed through those garden paths, stealthily at night, you will understand that it required a certain degree of moral courage to go in search of pleasure along such a road and amid such memories late in october the climate of the suburbs of paris becomes damp and foggy especially at night and in the neighborhood of streams chance decreed that the fog should be as dense on this night as on certain other nights in the preceding spring raymond felt his way along the mist-enveloped trees he passed a summer-house which contained a fine collection of geraniums in winter he glanced at the door and his heart beat fast at the extravagant idea that it might open and give egress to a woman wrapped in a pelisse. Raymond smiled at this superstitious weakness and went his way. Nevertheless the cold seized him, and he felt an unpleasant tightness at his throat as he approached the stream. 
he had to cross it to reach the flower garden and the only means of crossing in that vicinity was a narrow wooden bridge the fog became more dismal than ever over the river bed and raymond clung to the railing of the bridge in order not to go astray among the reeds that grew along the banks the moon was just rising and as it strove to pierce the vapors cast an uncertain light on the plants which the wind and the current moved to and fro in the breeze which rustled the leaves and ruffled the surface of the water there was a sort of wailing sound like human words half spoken there was a faint sob close beside raymond and a sudden movement among the reeds it was a curlew flying away at his approach the cry of that shore-bird closely resembles the moaning of an abandoned child and when it comes up from among the reeds you would say that it was the last effort of a drowning man perhaps you will consider that raymond was very weak and cowardly his teeth chattered and he nearly fell but he soon realized the absurdity of his terror and crossed the bridge he was halfway across when a human figure appeared in front of him at the end of the rail as if waiting for him to approach raymond's ideas became confused his bewildered brain had not the strength to reason he retraced his steps and hid among the trees gazing with a fixed terrified stare at that ill-defined apparition which remained in the same place as vague and uncertain as the river mist and the trembling rays of the moon he was beginning to believe that in his mental preoccupation he had been deceived and that what he took for a human form was only a tree trunk or a stalk of a shrub when he distinctly saw it move and walk toward him at that moment had not his legs absolutely refused to act he would have fled in as great a panic as the child who passes a cemetery at night and fancies that he hears mysterious steps running after him on the tips of the blades of grass but he felt as if he were paralyzed and to support himself threw his arms around the trunk of the willow behind which he was hidden the next moment sir ralph wrapped in a light cloak which gave him the aspect of a phantom at three yards passed very close to him and took the path by which he had just come bungling spy thought raymond as he saw him looking for his footprints i will escape your cowardly surveillance and while you are mounting guard here i will be enjoying myself yonder he crossed the bridge as lightly as a bird and with the confidence of a lover his terrors were at an end noun had never existed real life was awakening all about him indiana awaited him yonder and ralph was on a sentry go to keep him from entering watch closely said raymond gaily as he saw him in the distance going in the opposite direction watch for me dear sir rodolphe brown protect my good fortune o oh my officious friend and if the dogs are restless if the servants wake pacify them keep them quiet by saying it is i who am watching sleep in peace scruples remorse virtue were at an end for raymond he had paid dearly enough for the hour that was striking his blood that had frozen in his veins flowed now toward his brain with maddening violence a moment ago the pallid terrors of death dismal visions of the tomb now the impetuous realities of love the keen joys of life raymond felt as bold and full of animation as in the morning when an ugly dream has enveloped us in its shroud and suddenly a merry sunbeam awakens and revivifies us 
"'Poor Ralph,' he thought, as he ascended the secret staircase with a bold, light step. "'You would have it so.'" End of chapter 16